This is episode 68 of the Rising Man podcast with Phil Gomez, Walking the Beauty Way. What's up, Rising Man family? Good morning, good rising. Welcome back to the Rising Man podcast. I'm your host and the creator of the show, Jetty Azuma. And I've got a special guest today, returning for a second visit here on the Rising Man podcast. He just couldn't get enough the first time around. But before I reintroduce my special guest for today, I want to give a shout out to my Rising Man Fire Circle brothers. What's up, fellas? Good to be circling up with you guys every month. We just concluded our April Fire Circle call this past weekend, which was amazing. Always good to drop in with the brothers. So for those of you who are not yet a part of the Fire Circle, be sure to join us. Mark your calendars right now for our May Rising Man Fire Circle call. It's virtual, so you can join from anywhere in the world. It's going to be Saturday, May 25th from 3 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time here on the West Coast in the States. You can join as a guest if it's your first time by sending me a DM and I'll give you the call link or sign up to be a patron of the Rising Man podcast at www.patreon.com slash rising man. Your chance to help support the podcast and get access to our private community, our inner circle, our inner ring of men on the rise. All right reintroducing my guest this man was back on the show episode three going way back so for those of you guys who caught the rising man flame make sure you go back to episode three to hear what my man phil gomez had to say but also in this episode bringing another dose of wisdom for you guys phil is a rites of passage guide he's led men on vision quest for the past four years most recently with me out in death valley for our compass event he recently became a father for the first time and he's truly a man who lives his life according to deeply rooted values and a simple clarity that that most men spend their whole lives trying to achieve. This is a man of ceremony, a man of service, a man who really is on the path of becoming the man that he's always wanted to be, a man that I admire and also happens to be my best friend. So grateful to have this man back here on the show. I know that his episode, the episode that we did together way back in the beginning is a, is a fan favorite. So in this episode, we talked about the transition into fatherhood. How did Phil's expectations match what it's actually been like to be a daddy? And I talked a little bit about my experience since I'm, as I'm recording this, 10 days into having my second child in the world. We talked about what fathering means and why we can all show up as fathers, whether or not we have our own children. Why every man needs to be initiated into adulthood, why we both feel that's so, so critical for our culture and for our future. The unique way that we can support each other as men and how years of men's teams and men's work has prepared us for marriage, parenthood, and a life of purpose. We talked about walking the path of ceremony and spirit, discussing medicine ceremonies, ancient rituals that bring us deeper into connection with our true selves and all things. Phil is an expert in this in this topic. He really lives his life according to these principles and brings a lot of his wisdom into this conversation here. And overall, just some good-natured reflection with the man who knows me best. So without further ado, for the second time, Phil Gomez. All right, Rising Man family, got a special, special guest making a return appearance on the show today, my brother, Phil Gomez, who some of you guys, if you've been listening for a long time or you've gone back, we had our first interview back on episode three, and I brought him back here today because he's kind of a smart guy. I've learned a lot from him, and we've cut our teeth together, walking parallel journeys, man, so thanks for being back here again, bro. Thanks for having me back, man. Don't set the expectations too high over here, you know. (laughs) (laughs) No, just joking. It's really, really good to be back. I'm glad you asked me to be back on the show, and yeah, I've really been looking forward to chatting, so. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot has happened since that first interview that we did. It's It was a little over a year ago. And since then, I guess the biggest thing for you is you got married and you became a dad. Yeah. Two small things that have happened between between then and now. Yeah. So I'm trying to think if at that time, Demetra was even pregnant yet. I don't think so. So yeah, it's been, it's been, no. I am like a completely different person. You know, it's, my life looks completely <laughs> different than it than it did then. So, but it's all good. It's all great. Well, let me ask you this then between fatherhood and becoming a husband, what is the biggest thing that you've noticed that's changed about you? The biggest thing I would say is there's like no back door, if that makes sense. Like there's no, like, 
I don't mm. feel like doing this right now. And really, it's really difficult to half-ass things right now, you know, uh, especially just because like mm-hmm. my life is just not about just me anymore, you know, where I was definitely like the type of person that was like a little bit easier to be like, oh, like procrastinate, you know, put things off, do enough just to get things done. And, you know, definitely since having the baby, it's just playing a bigger game, man. You know, he's obviously Mm. at this point, you know, he's four months old. So he definitely relies on his mom way more than he does me. But, you know, I got to take I got to take care of both of them, you know, financially and then also, you know, supporting my wife emotionally and really giving her the support that she needs so she can be like a fully expressed woman as well. You know, Mm -hmm. so I would say that's that's the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. Playing a bigger game, playing a bigger game, man. I can definitely relate to that. Just that level of commitment. Just putting putting all your chips on the table and and not being able to look back. And I think that's also a unique thing about about you that that a lot of men it's hard for them to come by is that sense of commitment that where there isn't a back door where this is the option this is this is the choice this is this is freedom for me because I, I there is no plan B I, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna back out on my family at this point. So that's that's a that's a rare thing to come by. I think there's a lot of men who who still have a hard time accepting that level of commitment. Totally, man. It's it's difficult. It's definitely difficult. And it's also simple. It's so beautifully simple, you know, when you reach that level of commitment because there's just no other options, mm-hmm. you know? It's just like, this is what I'm going to make happen. And like, definitely not always easy or always comfortable, but like the simplicity of like, this is what I'm committed to doing. So all of my decisions are based off of that commitment. I love that simplicity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Having options is much more complicated, isn't it? (laughs) Yeah, it really is. It really is. I can't handle that, you know? Yeah, I agree. (laughs) I agree. And let me ask you, let me ask you this. What's the thing that has surprised you most about fatherhood? That, that you weren't expecting or that you couldn't anticipate? Hmm. I think just supporting mom. Mm. You know, I was so focused up on on baby coming and just like, you know, doing, I guess, whether it's uh, getting the nest ready, getting the house ready, uh, making sure all, we have all the things there, or it's setting up some sort of support, you know, like a meal train kind of thing for afterwards. Mm-hmm. You know, I guess I was just so focused up on like what the baby was going to need that like I it didn't even occur to me how much mom needs mm-hmm. you know and and it's also just like a very wide breadth of what she needs you know mm-hmm. whether it's like literally me physically being there to hold the baby for a bit so she can you know shower and take care of herself or kind of go to the gym or emotional support of just listening to her after you know after I get home from work and I had a long day mm-hmm. you know kind of like all the all the little things but mom needs a lot of support Mm. And that's, you know, that's who's taking care of baby. So mm. yeah, I wasn't expecting that one. Yeah. Yeah, man. And and for me, it's very present too right now because I just became a father for the second time 10 days ago. And it's fun. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks, man. Thank you. And, uh, you know, it's funny how much you forget from the first time around, especially because it's been three and a half years since I became a dad for the first time. I'm, I'm very much a, a different man. I've changed a lot. I've learned a lot. There was a lot of things that I forgot about that process and the type of provider that I'm neat that's needed in my family right now, what my partner needs, what my kids need from me is not always the man that I want to be. <laughs> and, and what I mean by that is the man in me the masculine force in me wants to be out in the world, slaying dragons, hunting, providing for my family, taking care of us on that level. And right now what's required is for me to be really close to home, to change a lot of diapers and to make a lot of smoothies <laughs> for, for everybody. And, uh, you know, clean, clean the house and do the laundry. It's, it's something I've really been up against. And I know you can relate to that because you just went through that not too long ago yourself. Totally, man. I, I still remember very clearly calling you on like day five after he was born. And I was just like, dude, I can't do this anymore. I feel like all I'm doing is cooking and cleaning and like all these things that I never do. And I, I can't handle it, you know? <laughs> so it was difficult. And you know, it's you saying that just made me kind of think of you know, I've like switched around my work schedule since having the baby. Just like I, I am the type of guy that likes to wake up and get it early in the morning, you know, wake up, 
have my coffee and start start hitting it hard, you know? And where based on where we live right now, like our her parents and my parents aren't there, you know? And we have like we have friends. We it's not like we're living in a vacuum and don't have any support. But for the most part, like when it comes to childcare, it's just us two, you know. So I ended up switching my work schedule so that you know, I go to work around 1030 or 11 and, and stay till a little bit later. And at first I, I was just so salty about it, bro. <laughs> I was so, I was just like, this is so dumb. You know, why, why should I, this is not how I like to do things, you know, which is really, that was the, the root of it. It's not how I like to do it. Mm-hmm. And now I love it. It's great. I'm so grateful that I get to spend, you know, a couple hours in the morning with the little man and kind of have, have, I just shifted my routine. And it really wasn't that big of a deal. And it's great for everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, it's great for the whole family. So that change, there's a lot of resistance to that change in the beginning, man. For sure. For sure. Especially when we get used to our routines and our behaviors and our patterns of being. Uh, Nothing like a new child, (laughs) a new new mouth to feed, a new member of the family to really shake that up and change the demands of what's needed. And I think the flexibility to adapt is is a a really important Mm -hmm asset to have as a, as a man. And I, it's funny cause I, I, I remember us having that conversation when you were five days in and then you gave me a call a few days ago, seven days in, <laughs> you were probably <laughs> repeating back to me the same things that I told you, <laughs> you know, sometimes we just need to hear it. Cause there is that innate part of us, especially you and I, that we want to be out there. We want to be doing stuff. We want to be providing and, and feeling accomplished. And at least the way we've set up our lives and the way a lot of modern men are set up to provide for the family also means to withdraw a little bit from the world sometimes, especially in that, in that state. And I'm sure many other moments in life may call for that as well. Mm-hmm. Like just being the conscious man, it's thinking about more than yourself. You know, that's, re- that's really it. And sometimes a family needs, doesn't need the the warrior hunter. Sometimes the family needs, you know, the sensual gentleman, you know, to be there. So yeah. got to be put, be able to put on all those hats. Yeah. The lover, the nurturer. That was, that was actually a message that I remember now that you mentioned it, my dad gave, but gave to me back when Sitka was first born, you know, I, cause I was so focused hmm. on being out there in the world, providing hunting and the stuff that I witnessed my dad do. But he reminded me that there was a time where my mom had cancer and she was in the hospital for weeks at a time. And he he's like, I had to be mom to you guys. And I never th- I never thought of that. But just to see in my own father, his own flexibility to, to, to go from the archetypal provider, hard worker, you know, nobody has work ethic like my dad. But to remember that he also had to flex to to provide what his what his family needed at that time. And so I think that's just a good take home lesson that to not get so fixated on what we think we, we need to be as men in our masculine power, that there are different expressions of that, especially in the family dynamics that most of us have these days. Absolutely, man. And I, I guess the word that really just comes to me is, is service, right? And mm-hmm. service comes in many different forms and it service isn't about you. It's about who you're serving, mm-hmm. right? It's about what they need kind of service in the platinum rule, you mm-hmm. know, like, treating people how they want to be treated, right? So that's how that's how we get to show up when we're truly being of service. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, man. Well, let's use that as a, as a pivot point to, to lean into this topic. So we, we talked a little bit about fatherhood and, and whether there are current or future fathers listening to this, there's the term that comes up in men's work and in men's circles that we use called fathering. And this, this is a way of being with each other as men that doesn't have to, that doesn't mean you have to have a biological son, but, but a way of a context in which we hold each other accountable as men. And you and I, we, we both sat in on our, on what I consider to be my first men's circle together back in Ithaca, Ithaca, New York, when we were going to college, didn't know what we were doing. Just our our best buddies got together and started talking about life. And that was when we were in our twenties. Like, our, like we were 20 years old. Yeah. So bringing that and all the experience that you and I have had sitting in all different types of men's circles, let's, I just want to hear your definition of what fathering is. You know, I would say fathering, you know, in general, the purpose of fathering is to prepare your child for the world, right? So preparing them to, to be like a good person. So, you know, when we're, so when we expand that out and talking about being fathers to each other, being fathers to other men, being fathers to people that are old enough to be your father, Mm. I think that what it is, is there's like an edge to 
helping or leading someone to see what you're seeing that may be like a barrier for them? You know, like kind of these teachable moments. I guess it's like teaching with an edge, mm. I would say, and not like uh, removing the sugar coating, mm. removing, not really worrying about how you're going to receive it, but more so, you know, sharing this knowledge with you as I see it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and in contrast to, in contrast to mothering, what would you say mothering looks like? I'd say mothering is, is there's more of like a coddling. There's a comfort there. There's more of that like reassurance of like, oh, oh, it's all right. You'll, you know, you'll get it next time. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Well just try it again. You know, these, these kind of things, which are, which is very necessary, you know, is also a beautiful tool. The biggest difference now that you're bringing up mothering is fathering allows for failure. Like mm-hmm. fathering the gift of responsibility and allowing you to to sink or swim, mm-hmm. you know, not robbing a person of, I guess mothering could also is, is like kind of giving you the playbook and telling you this is exactly what I want you to do. Mm-hmm. A, B, C, and D where fathering is like, Hey, this is where, this is where, this is what I want it to look like, or this is where it's going to go. You figure out how to make that happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Definitely distinctions that are, that are really important there. I, I agree with what you said. And another part of it is that, uh, my experience of fathering is it also tends to be very uncomfortable. It's not the mushy, gentle, heart open type of love that a lot of us are used to or, or, or even look for because of how we were raised by our mothers and um, the way that we received love and validation. But it's a different type of love. You know, I, I talk about it as the love that only one man can give to another man. The, the edge, mm-hmm. the, the reflection of how a man is really being in a way that nobody else is telling him about that mm-hmm. the ego definitely doesn't want to hear. <laughs> and and yeah. so I know we both have experienced yeah, that. Totally. I mean, it's a really efficient tool, man. That's just not, it's almost like taboo to use it in our society right now. You know, there's, it's like, in all honesty, the only time I really use it is in, is in my men's circles. And spaces, you know, so it's kind of like this thing that you, if you're that honest or kind of cut that sharp, it's like people don't like it, you know, mm. but it's a very efficient tool. And I think with practice and use, it, it really can be done in a, in a good way. I guess the most recent example is a group that we were in, we were on a call and, you know, there was a man that was talking about, oh, I don't have time to do these things that, you know, that are really important for my business. And I don't have time to really focus on myself because I'm always like doing this, these other things, whether it's taking care of other people or working on these other projects. And like, I just, so I just don't have time. Hey, I asked for permission first, which, you know, you don't always have to do, but that, that's what felt right for me in that moment. It's like, Hey, can I, can I be honest with you? Can I, can I do something called fathering right now? <laughs> so he said, yeah. And I was like, listen, dude, that's bullshit. You know, just tell them straight up. I, uh, that's bullshit. I don't think that you, you know, you have a fine, we all have a finite amount of time. Mm. Right. So, you know, if you're not doing something, it's because you don't want to, Mm -hmm. you know, or it's because it's not that not important enough to you. You know, all that is, is just like an example, just to say, it's like, sometimes you need like the harsh shock in order to change the focus onto like what's really important. But what really matters because we kind of, you know, we kind of can start to focus on these self-created problems and illusions. And sometimes you just need to get shaken up out of that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, man. I've found that some of the greatest revelations that I've had have been in the face of that really uncomfortable mirror. You know, somebody telling me the thing that I was terrified to hear, but really needed to hear (laughs) because... At at some point, we all know on a on a deep level that yeah, I am I am full of shit. But but there's not usually someone there to tell us. And so, in these men's circles, in these men's spaces, having that that fathering context in which to do it, where I trust another man so much and know that he cares about me, and I can confide in him that when he says this to me or he helps me see this, I'm going to pay attention. I'm going to listen to that. Not that the ego won't still be triggered and flared up, but. Mm-hmm. overriding that, that willingness to, def- or that impulse to defend ourselves so that we can find the deeper truth and become our be- better versions of ourselves at the end of the day. Absolutely. Yeah. That, you know, that baseline of love and respect is really key to allow to have that edge, you know, mm-hmm. in, in order to use that edge. Because like for me, if like someone that I don't know just 
comes in and starts fathering in a very, you know, in a very like aggressive, you know, just like pointing stuff out about me in a very like sharp way. And it's like, and we don't have that baseline level of love and respect for each other. It's like, I'm going to like, I'm just going to immediately want to get into it with them, you know, Mm -hmm. like, it's just going to, it's just going to spark my ego very quickly. Whereas, you know, coming from a guy like you, it's like, you could say anything to me and I just, I fully trust you. Right. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I, I look for you to have that edge with me. Mm-hmm. It's really important to be in this conversation about fathering. And I think that it's something that another word that comes up for me is uncling, you know, and this, this lost art in our culture of having uncles. And so thinking about where we started, we talked about fatherhood and how the importance of a role that a father plays for a son, especially in his, his development, his maturity, but that we don't need to only depend on our father. And and I, in my opinion, shouldn't depend only on our father as our one singular reference for what it means to be a man in the world. And in lots of other cultures, there would be many men responsible for raising a boy and, and teaching him what he needed to become a man. And for those people who don't know this yet, Phil has been a rites of passage guide for many years now. And we both just got back from leading a group of men out into the desert for a four day vision fast. And so these, these ways of initiating men, young men into manhood and really marking that in their lives is something we both feel really called to really feel really important about. So just speak a little bit to why you think that that's so important for you. Why, why it's important for men to be initiated into manhood. Mm -hmm. I guess it's so, for me, it's so important because it's like what we've all come from, you know, it, it's like, it's just nothing new, you know, it's just something that we've kind of gotten away from as a people, but like every culture, if you, if you go back far enough and all around the world, utilize nature and utilize being alone in nature to mark some sort of rites of passage, some sort of like transition from A to B. And many times it was men going from marking that transition from childhood to adulthood, you know, or from boy to man. So in this, like the importance of being initiated, I I feel like it gives, almost gives men a sense of knowing themselves that like it deepens the knowledge of self, which enables them to show up stronger in the world. And that, you know, that knowledge of self can come from many different things. But I personally think being in nature by yourself and removing food and all other distractions from the equation is like the truest way of getting to know yourself better, you know, mm-hmm. getting, getting to know your inner workings, getting to know your shadow, getting to know your light, getting to know your gift, all of that, you know, and being witnessed by the rocks and the trees and the dirt in the air and having all that as your mirror without anyone else to, to distract you without anything else to distract you. It's like, you can only come out the other side as a, stronger, more evolved, more capable man. Yeah, a hundred percent. And I know for me, it was the first time in my life when I went out and fasted for four days that I had zero outside influence from anything human related. So I had very, very little contact. I, I saw a couple of people hiking for, in the distance from where I was in my fasting spot. But aside from that, I had virtually no human contact for four days other than just being with myself. And there's something pure about that. When, when you remove humans and, and interactions with humans or man-made things from our day-to-day being for four consecutive days, sleeping out under the stars, it really reveals what's there, like you said. And that, that was definitely my experience of who am I outside of all of the external influences coming from my parents, my siblings, my teachers, my coaches, my mentors, society, pop culture, all of these things that shape an identity. So it's, for me, it was definitely a death of an identity that I was holding onto and like a, like a clearinghouse. It was, it was a way of simplifying who I am and what I'm actually here for, for the first time in my life and choosing what I wanted versus what I thought was going to earn me approval, respect, or validation from anybody else. And then returning with that and living into that, that's been one of the most liberating experiences of my life. Absolutely, man. Very similar experience for me. You know, and being out there my first fast five or six years ago now, you know, that was like, that was just the first time I was out in nature alone. 
Mm-hmm. I, maybe just the first time I was just alone for that that stretch of time. It really like the question that came up was just like, who am I when no one's looking? Mm. You know, who am I when I don't have to be anyone for anyone, like for anyone. Mm-hmm. It's just, who am I when I just have to be? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it took four days to figure that out, you know, <laughs> and, and I'm still working on it. But, you know, that the clarity that I left the desert with when I came, you know, when I came out on the other side, it just like, it totally shifted my life. Mm -hmm. You know, it totally shifted. There was this ability to trust myself that I never had Mm. before. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying that I never trusted myself, but there was a new found, like, it's like, I got me, you know, it's like, Mm -hmm. I got my own back kind of feeling and like really trusting myself like that. And like trusting the vision that I had, you know, Mm-hmm. And not, I guess before kind of treating as like, this would be nice. Mm. And now after, after questing and trusting myself, treating that vision, like this is the, this is the right thing. You know, this is, this is what's good for me. This is what's good for my family. This is like, this is what I stand behind and believe in. Mm. Right. And then yeah. so specifically for me at that time was I left the desert and I was very clear that I was going to leave New York city I was living at New York City in the time, and I was very clear that I wanted to move with Demetra out to California and be like supportive family members to you and Carrie and Sitka when he was, you know, a young young kiddo, mm-hmm. you know. And like I didn't know what the rest was, but like I knew that was it, and that was kind of I trusted myself enough to do all the things that needed to be done in order to make that happen, you know. Mm-hmm. And here we are years later with our own kids and married and, you know, nothing but beauty in our life. So it's, mm. you know, it's given that, that self-permission to trust in the vision. Yeah. And I see a comparison going back to where we started this conversation off and you were talking about not having any more back doors now that you're a married man and a father. I think it's similar. And when you go out and you fast and you receive that clarity of that vision, you can't really deny that anymore. You can't unsee the vision that you have for yourself. You can't un learn the clarity that you receive in that time. So it essentially, it removes that back door. You can, we can still deny that truth and resist it. I guess that's always a possibility, but it's, it's really hard not to embrace it because there's, it's, it's such a deep level of clarity and truth that comes from spending time in solitude and, and really listening to what happens out there. You know, I had Mike Bodkin on here a few interviews back. He calls it the in-between worlds. It's, it is like a, I, I almost hesitate to say magical because that's not really a word I like to use very often, but it's a very mystical type of place where, where things, things happen. Things are revealed when you set that intention and, and proceed in a, in an intentional way. Absolutely. I, I definitely, I always think of it as like the, the in-between, you know, it's, it's this space that comes up, you know, around for me, uh, around ceremonies, definitely, which, you know, which fasting is part of. I experienced it when my wife was in labor, you know, experience, you know, kind of these like different times that it happens, but it's like this, it's a timeless special place where there's like, I guess how I see it is like this, it's just like an open channel, you know? So things are kind of like just going back and forth freely between like the physical world, the spiritual world, the emotional, all of everything is just intertwined and like kind of coming out. When you kind of come back to just like the physical, physical realm, it's like you're, you're really able to bring a lot of that stuff with you. You know, like, like you were saying, it's just like, once you see, you can't unsee, you know, once you've kind of seen and received some sort of gift or some sort of download, some sort of knowledge, it's like, you can't just unknow it, you know? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And and I know that from the moment that you, you went out and fasted, you were already on what I would call a medicine path. It was already beginning to unfold for you. And this was something that I really saw cement that and witnessing you over the past four or five years since that time you fasted, you've only walked farther along that path and along that journey. So I know a lot of people, especially people who are listening to this podcast have experienced medicine ceremonies or different types of ceremonies or rituals and different types of indigenous backgrounds, whatever, what have you. But there's a side to it that I think is very unique that you can speak to is that the side of uh, being of service in in those spaces because a lot of people show up for this first ceremony and they experience it and and who knows what they're looking for or what brings them to those spaces but I know that I see you and how you show up in service to those communities to those ceremonies and 
people are always watching you and, and saying, I want, I want what that guy has. So uh, I'd love to hear your perspective on how being of service in that way, in all the different ways that you are, has helped you in your path as, as a father, as a husband and provider. Mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> There's a lot to unpack right there. Mm-hmm. No, it's been, it's been a beautiful, beautiful journey for me. You know, that started with really to solidify, I would say, kind of six years ago when I had gone to a few, I think I had gone to like three Native American church peyote ceremonies. It was like, I was just totally enamored. I just like fell in love with, with the fire, with the whole process, with just all the beautiful things that, that occurred in that teepee and around that ceremony. There was just this initial, like initial, like kind of childlike giddiness about it, you know, that I was just like, oh, I want to learn everything. I want to learn how to do that. I want to learn how to do that. I want to learn how to do that, you know? So kind of this childlike excitement, that was, that was really cool to kind of kick off trajectory into like, well, I want to know more, you know, that curiosity was really, really helpful. And then, you know, I would say the biggest thing that like started for that, like, really kicked off me being fully of service in any way possible and in ways that sometimes are very inconvenient. I had Lyme's disease, you know, mm-hmm. which you know about. I had Lyme's disease and I was just like in a really bad shape, man. And a good friend of mine and a medicine medicine man, he he can't come over to my house and he was just like, I'm going to help you out. And he gave me a lot of peyote. You know, he gave me a lot of medicine and, and you know, kind of gave me this this protocol said pretty much is like, Phil, this is going to take care of you. This is going to help you out. This is going to, you know, this is going to cure you. And so any days, anyway, I went four days of just eating peyote and came out on the other side of that, like fully have never had any sort of limes problem or anything since Mm -hmm. then, you know? Mm -hmm. So really, really like, and I, like I said, man, I was, I was just really in bad shape and I was, you know, really physical guy really active. And I, I just like, I couldn't even like wash the dishes, dude. Like I was, mm-hmm. I was hurting really, really bad. And I was really scared too. So, so that cured me up. And also in the process of that, I learned a lot just from like kind of having this beautiful conversation with a plant that was in my body and kind of teaching me all these things about my body. So since then it was, I really decided one, I have so much gratitude for this medicine and this ceremony and this way of life. Two, I've been blessed in a way that like I can't, it's like I can't like repay the medicine like with money or anything. So it's like the, what I can commit to is like doing everything I can to make sure other people can get their blessings. Mm. You know, what, what can I do to help provide that? You know, so what that ended up being is like, I mean, you've seen me, but there's so much that goes into these ceremonies, you know, whether it's getting the medicine and cleaning the medicine, whether it's, you know, we have a fire going all night long and using five foot logs to keep us stoked. So the fire's got to come where the teepee's got to come from somewhere. The poles come from somewhere, you know, all that's got to go up. So there's just all these things that have to happen in order for, you know, this ceremony, which is based on tradition and like based on this is how it works. You know, this is like Mm -hmm. the things in this way, like healings and beautiful things happen. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's just been just listening for the call and the call comes in many different ways for me. But uh, when it does, it's like, I just make sure I go above and beyond and out of my way in order for the sake of being a service whoever to whoever is seeking that blessing, you know, whoever needs, needs that help like that. Mm-hmm. And it's such a beautiful journey to witness. And I'm really grateful that I get to be one of your best bros who's, who's seen, I've really seen you become a man. And I know I, I, I could say that because I know you've, you've had the same opportunity for me to, so to see you from when we met when we were 17 years old and to see how you have leaned into, even back then we were back in the day, we were, we were of service. We were going to the community center, Southside community center, shout out to it, our, our Ithaca roots where we were, you know, mentoring with the best of what we knew, these, these little kids. And uh, so you've always been a man of service and to see how your capacity for service and what you have to offer in those spaces has, has evolved and changed. It's been really great to watch and it can be 
in this context of the ceremonial community, the Native American church. It could be in volunteering at the community center. Regardless of what it is, though, there's something about being of service that helps us in our lives as men. So if you could reduce it to that, what would you say that piece is? Because I think that's really the essence of what we can get to here is how being of service in all these different capacities actually helps us. Yeah, I mean, there's just to be a man and to be a dad and to be all these things. It's just like our life isn't our own, man. It's just not like we're just a (laughs) we have like a society of a bunch of just selfish pricks, man. That's like, that's like what, what men have become, you know, just like care about how is this going to benefit me? How is this going to, you know, how is this going to serve me? Mm. Like, don't get me wrong. Like I ask those questions to myself too, because like, especially because I have people in the family to take care of. So it's not like I'm saying throw that out, but it's like when you are able to step into the service role of like actually doing something that's just not for you, but for someone else, it's I mean, I don't know, you know, karmically, of course it, it helps, but it's just like a, it allows you to just step into a different mindset, a different way of thinking, you know, that like the world and the purpose of life isn't just to continue to benefit yourself more and more and more, you (laughs) know, it's like, help out, help out your brother, help out your sister, help out this next generation, help out, you know, just help, just help in whatever way you can in the best way you can. And, you know, time is like the most valuable resource we have. So just like give time to something else other than like, you know, trying to make yourself a millionaire. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I, I like that a lot, man. I'm, I'm laughing over here because the, the piece you said about your life is not your own just really resonates with me on a deep level, uh, especially in this context of service and having a life of service, creating a life of service. But it, reminded, it made me think of a metaphor that our lives if in that context, is kind of like leasing a car or getting a mortgage yeah. on a house. It's like you get the keys to the car. You could drive it however you want to drive it, but you're going to give that car back someday <laughs> or the, the house, right? You can, you can get a mortgage on a house. You can change how the inside looks and you can do, renovate it, but it's not yours. It's not yours to have. And, and actually, I find a lot of freedom in that. Actually, a lot of inspiration. It simplifies things. We talked about simplicity a lot. It simplifies it for me because if my life is not my own and I'm simply here to be of service, to be an instrument of service in whatever capacity I'm called to or whatever capacity or whatever opportunities present, then there's really only one thing for me to do is to be of service in that way. And part of my journey as a man has been figuring out what are my most essential needs because we do have essential needs, right? Water, food, shelter. You know, and, and, and life is not meant to be a bore either. It doesn't have to be this, you know, painful, joyless struggle the whole way through. But I know reducing down to the minimal baseline, what are my needs and figuring out how to take care of those so that the rest of my life is available to be of service has been one of the most liberating things that I've been able to do for myself. And, and still I'm figuring out how to do, how to reduce my needs even more just to the essentials you know? Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And then, you know, it's like when you know what your needs are, you also start to realize that sometimes, a lot of times we kind of can get our needs without just this normal equation of like, I go to work to make this much money so I can pay for all these things. Like, Mm. you know what I mean? Which are my needs, which I've identified. Sometimes that stuff comes to you from being of service, right? Mm. Because then somebody else is of service. Like, there's like many different ways to get the things that we need. And like, the traditional way of like making money and like going to the grocery store and buying food. It's like, that's like a real thing. You know, that's, that's what I'm not saying that's bad, but you know, when we're open to other possibilities that let, that can occur, you know, that's also a very real thing. You know, I've mm-hmm. had a lot of unexpected things happen just from being of service. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, we have the option to move out of that constraint of like, this is the equation of how, how it works and how I get my needs so that I can have this separate compartment of time to be of service. Mm, mm-hmm. and, and there's a certain level of trust, in my opinion, that's required to be of service in that way, to trust that I'm going to be taken care of as long as I be my best self and, and in service to other people out in the world. So how, how did you navigate that? And, and what, what have you come up against in terms of the, the, the battle, the conflict between, oh, I got to make sure my needs are met and then I'm taking care of my family. And, and yet there's, there's more people that need me, that need this part of me in the world. Yeah. 
It's I'm still figuring it out. <laughs> I'm still it's a it's a case by case basis. You know, I've like it now being in in the world of you know ceremony. I you know I got a lot of friends and a lot of people that'll call me out for help and like I, as much as I can, I'll that's I'll help out in whatever way I can. And you know there there's sometimes where I gotta call and be like, hey, listen, I got a really good job on that day, and it's gonna help me. It's gonna help me for X, Y, Z. So I, I, I'm sorry, but I gotta, I can't come or I can't do that. You know, so there's just, there's just like a case by case basis. And really, I think um, kind of like what you were saying, when you know your needs, you're just like it really in tune and honest with like what's, what's real for you in, in the moment. Mm-hmm. What's real for you in, in like, I guess your, your standards and your commitments. Because like when you're, when you're clear on those things, like the case by case dis- decisions like are pretty easy. You know what I mean? And then, and then the other thing is like stretching, you know, I like, I stretch a lot too. So like, it's, it's like, if I can make it all happen, then I will. And sometimes that means, you know, having a conversation with my wife, cause I won't be getting home to later or something, you know, making sure that she and the kid are taken care of. And sometimes it means like a late night, you know, sometimes mm-hmm. it means like a little over a really long drive or something, you know? So that, that's the other thing. It's like, not like, me personally, it's like, I'm not afraid to stretch. I'm not afraid to like do a little bit more uncomfortable or difficult things in order to have it all. Right. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think that's the other part of the equation as well. Yeah, definitely agree. Definitely resonate with the stretching component and having conversations with our partners that aren't, aren't always comfortable and, and making decisions yeah. and choices that they're not always happy with in the moment. But in the, you know, in the grand scheme of things, they, they, they definitely respect us for because they know the type of men that we are and that sometimes stepping outside of just our, our small family unit is, is necessary. But then on the contrary, also stepping, withdrawing back into that. And I know that's been my journey for the past 10 days since my daughter's been born. There's been so much of that impulse to go back out into the world and get back to being of service in a big way. Cause I know what that means, not just for my family, but, or my community, but the impact that I want to have with my life at large. But what's been really asked to me is to kind of retreat and withdraw back into taking care of my family, saying no to a lot of things, renegotiating commitments for a short period of time while I show up for my family in the way they need. So it's this dynamic dance that requires a lot of attention and a lot of uh, clarity around our values and what matters to us as men. So, um, so, so what helps you navigate that on like a structural level? You know, is it, is it your values? Is it your principles? Is it the code of Phil Gomez? <laughs> what helps you? <laughs> Listen, I guess it's like, there's obviously certain things of like showing up and being of service that, that really like fill me up. Right. And kind of really just like, they just charge my batteries. Right. And I obviously show up to those things in, in a way of, I would say probably characterized by like excitement and joyous and energetic. Right. So that's like just how that's the way that I then have to do like when I have to show up for my family, you know, when I would rather be doing something else or show up for work when I'd rather be doing something else, you know, it's kind of, I guess, one, so, so like really to, to get to your question, one is like utilizing that energy for all things or like utilizing the, what I learn from doing something that I really enjoy doing and how I, how can I bring that into everything else? And then the other thing is like keeping a, keeping a solid schedule, bro. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I know, I know that's kind of like, that seems like a little lame. It's not that spiritual and that, but like <laughs> you got to keep a tight calendar, you know, you got to Like I, I just keep a tight calendar. Like I know when I have commitments, like I make a lot of phone calls and I'm clear with people about like things I can and can't do. I have a lot of conversations with, with Demetra about the things that like, I'm up to or things that are going to require time. So it's just like really taking that like communication and scheduling into like way more than I really would like to do (laughs) because I don't Mm -hmm. like, I don't really care to do it that much, but like taking it that seriously because that's like the only way all of it can happen. Mm. You know, Mm -hmm. that's just like the only, so it's like another example of just like sometimes these things that are not that fun, you know, AKA like, keeping your schedule just by doing it provides you the opportunity to do the things that are really fun, you know, do the Mm. things that really juice me up. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And, and that's ultimately what I've found too, is that this, this balance of the strategic and the spiritual, you know, and some people might, might say the masculine and the feminine, you know, the, the orderly focused part of the masculine and then also allowing for this, the spiritual part of the, the feminine within all of us that, that gets to emerge, you know, that dynamic dance. So yeah, man, it's great to hear you speak about that and to share that as we start to wrap up this conversation. I'm not going to ask you any of the questions I asked you the first go around. I'm going to keep you on your toes. What I want to hear from you is thinking about this generation of men, right? Our, our generation of men, our, our brothers who are in their 20s and their 30s, some of them in their 40s. What is the great opportunity that we have as this generation, this cohort of men walking this planet right now? I mean, we have the opportunity to redefine masculinity, you know, to redefine what what it is to be a man, what it is to be a fully expressed man, you know, mm-hmm. and not just, you know, I, th- I think just for a long time, all of us, we've been just told what a man is through, through media, you know, through movies, through shows, you know, through, through like our, our parents and older generations too. But I mean, we get to, we have the opportunity to, to define what that is based on what the world needs right mm-hmm. now. So based again, like going back to service, like we get to define what it is to be a man so that we can make the world a better place. Right. So mm-hmm. based on what the world needs, this is how we need to show up as men, you know? Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of that starts with our, just our relationships, you know, which we are notoriously not good at <laughs> as men, but you know, our relationships with each other, because I think that's really, that's a really powerful one there our relationships with the feminine, with women, and then our relation, our intergenerational relationships as well. The all kind of, we get to like heal and work on those relationships so that we can actually know what the world needs from men so that we can then be those men. Mm-hmm. Awesome, man. And on the contrary of that, that, that's the opportunity. What do you think is the greatest challenge that we collectively as a generation of men are facing? I would say just the general aversion to or tabooing of aggression and Mm. that like raw kind of gritty, sharp energy, you know, there's just like, I think that's, that's the toughest thing that we're dealing with is that's all so taboo right now, you know, And, Mm. and there's just so much fear because for good reason. I mean, there, that that enter, that part of the male energy has been so out of balance for for such a long time that it's just like it's scary when it's when it's not balanced. Mm. However, the op- opposite side of the spectrum is also scary, you know, which is mm. a bunch of men that are totally disconnected from that part of them. Mm. So yeah, I think that that's the toughest thing. It's like finding space for us to allow that fathering that more assertive, aggressive, sharp, edgy male energy and finding the spaces where we can really practice that safely so we know how to harness that energy in a balanced and safe way out in the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. And in that, I also hear being more multidimensional as men instead of always yeah. playing the same card, regardless of where you fall on that spectrum. I know a lot of us, uh, myself included, I, I tend to play the same card that's most comfortable or most familiar to me. And that card gets worn out pretty quickly <laughs> and it doesn't, doesn't serve in all, all of the different, exp- different dynamics that show up in life. Absolutely. It's being the multidimensional man. That's the, that's the goal right there. Mm-hmm. Put on multiple different hats and the right half of the right occasion. Awesome, my man. For everybody who's listening, Phil and I are have been bringing guys out there for the for these three day wilderness immersions called Elements, which you know we'd love to have more of you guys join us for. Really, really powerful experience, and also those of you guys who want to go a level deeper, joining us for a four day fast in in all the different locations that we'll be doing that, whether it's the desert or the mountains. Anything you would say to those guys who are thinking about stepping in and taking the plunge into one of those experiences before we sign off here? The answer is yes, man. <laughs> <laughs> And I'm not being, you know, I, I'm I'm not a great salesman, so so I'm not just being a salesman. I really mean, like the answer is yes. It, like I was saying earlier, there's just there's an element of our DNA in nature and an unlocking of things that just will not happen when you're surrounded by concrete or in a house or you know just in your day to day. There's just there's good medicine out there. There's good medicine out there, and if 
if you're thinking about it, at least just get on a call with one of us and just dive into it a little bit deeper. But if you're searching for something and you really want to get to know yourself better and bring that knowledge of self back into your life, this is a sure way to do it. Mm. 100% agree with that, my man. Honored to be leading in that capacity with you. Grateful that you took the time out of your out of your day to schedule us into your busy calendar and bring some of that wisdom and medicine that you've got, my bro. I love witnessing your journey and being a part of it and look forward to seeing what you got for us even further down the road when we do round three. <laughs> right on, man. Thank you again for having me. It was great to dive in and I'll... Uh... I'll send the check to your secretary for taking up so much of my time. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, bill me. Send it to my old address. (laughs) There we go. All right, my bro. Right on. Great having you, my man. Take care. It's always a treat for me to jump on a conversation like this with Phil because this, this talk we had here is not any different than the conversations we have on a weekly basis. <laughs> you know, we, we've lived together for just about a decade uh, of the like 14 years that we've known each other for. And right now, him and his partner and his his baby are living up about four and a half hours from where we are now. So we, we talk on a weekly basis and this is what our conversations look like. So, so it's, it's great to be able to capture one of those conversations and to share it for the benefit of everybody who's listening. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. Make sure you guys join us for the next Rising Man Fire Circle, which is going to be on May 25th from 3 to 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's a virtual call. We do it over Zoom conferencing, so you can join from anywhere in the world. We'd love to have you. If you need to know information for that, hit me up directly. For links and resources, as always, every week, we put them up on the Rising Man Podcast website, therisingmanpodcast.com. Head over there to check out any references that we made in this episode and every other episode. Please subscribe to the Rising Man Podcast. Follow us. Give us a five-star rating. Whatever you do, make sure you guys give us all that love that you think we deserve because it does go a long way with helping other men find us. And that's our mission right now is to get in the ears and in the hearts of more men all across the world. So... Whether you're on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or just listening off the website at therisingmanpodcast.com, drop some comments, shoot us some love so that we can shoot some right back at you. While you're at it, check us out on Instagram at Rising Man Podcasts for all the amazing clips and content that my man Rowan is putting together for us each and every week. Shout out to Rowan at Rowan Tyne, T-Y-N-E on Instagram. While we're at it, let's shout out the rest of the power team, Julian Subic, Mark Rose, my men who are supporting me in the background, and as always, my audio wizard extraordinaire who was burning the midnight oil to get this episode ready. Appreciate you, brother. Sean Offenbach over at Infinite Melodics at Infinite M-E-L-O-D-I-S on Instagram. I love you guys. Thank you for everything you do. And for all y'all listening, until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.